On October the 7th, the Moon Symphony will be released for all to hear. And today we're talking to composer Amanda Lee Falkenberg to find out all about it. Music and science, a great combination. This piece of music is absolutely incredible. What are your favorite pieces of music inspired by space? Let us know via our social media pages at Space and Things 1 on Twitter and at Space and Things Podcast on Instagram and Facebook or via the contact form on our website. And don't forget to hit that share button. But right now, enjoy episode 110 of the Space and Things Podcast. Things with Dave Giles and Emily Carney. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles, and welcome to episode 110 of our podcast. I'm away this week, so we recorded this episode a couple of weeks ago. So no news updates this week, I'm afraid, but we'll get you back up to date next week. And we still have a wonderful interview for you this week. It's episodes like this one, which explain why we're called space and things. We love to see how space inspires the world around us. And in the past, we've tried our best to talk about TV shows, podcasts, books, and even plays. But this is a first for us, as we've not yet talked about a symphony orchestra uh, recording a whole symphony about space. Now, regular listeners may remember that in January, I was recording my album at Abbey Road Studios. Well, while I was there, I got a message from astronaut Nicole Stott telling me that she was in London. So I invited her along to visit and we even managed to get her in the vocal booth as well, which was quite a moment. You'll be able to hear that at some point next year when the album comes out. But anyway, while we were there, Nicole told me about her friend, Amanda Lee Falkenberg who was also going to be recording something at Abbey Road later in the year, as she had composed a whole symphony about some of the moons in our solar system. Nicole introduced me to Amanda during the events in London to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Apollo 16 in May of this year. And I was then invited to go to St Luke's Chapel in London to hear the London Symphony Orchestra record some of the symphony, which really was quite the experience. Wow, that's awesome. We'll hear more about Amanda's backstory in the interview, but she has won many awards and has been working on this symphony since 2017. There are seven movements in the following order, Jupiter's moons Io and Europa, then out to Saturn for Titan and Enceladus, then out to Uranus to look at Miranda, back to Jupiter to visit Ganymede, and then we come back to Earth for a movement about our own moon. To get in the right frame of mind to create the music for these moons, Falkenberg undertook a huge amount of research, which ended up with her having discussions with some of the leading planetary scientists at NASA JPL, John Hopkins APL, and the University of Michigan. As Dave said earlier, the world premiere recording was recorded by the London Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Marin Alsop, who is one of the top conductors in the world and was mentored by Leonard Bernstein. Amanda is based in Dubai, so trying to get the timing right for the three of us to talk together was a little difficult. So unfortunately, Dave was alone for this interview, but we'll talk some more afterwards. So let's hear the interview. Amanda. Welcome to Space and Things Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. 
So I feel like there are two different origin stories which I need to get from you. Uh, so before we get to the Moon Symphony, first of all, tell us about your background as a composer. Well, um, I started composing um, in my early 20s and it all originated in a ballet studio. I was accompanying um, ballerinas. Um, I was looking for sort of some part-time work during my university years. And for many weeks, I would sit and play music from a book um, that was given to me to accompany the various dancers. And over the weeks, I just started watching, I got the confidence to start watching their movies. Movements. And I'm like, hmm, I reckon I could have a stab at writing new content for them. And that would be maybe just more enhance their the aesthetics of what they were doing. I just felt like maybe there's some more something more that could be done musically. And so that ended up in um, a, a three-CD uh, album volume called Moving With Music. And that's really how it all began. I was with the Australian Ballet Company for uh, a year and was playing Kamina Barana on stage in the Sydney Opera House. And um, wow. and just for those, those hours accompanying the dancers, 90-hour weeks, it's not conducive to composing. So I resigned and, you know, went and did full-time composing, um, just did a whole lot of freelance work on the side. And the first commission for a ballet was um, Edge of the World um, in 2003. It's kind of kind of weird because I wrote that and then I look at this moon symphony and I'm like, well, we've kind of gone it, it off the world in this project. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's really how it started with um, ballet dancers. That's crazy. So then how did you end up coming up with the idea of writing a symphony about the moons in our galaxy how do you go from ballet to the moons i'm sure there's there's an obvious thing here but i can't think of it have you always been inspired by space and, and you know what was the genesis of this project well i mean space let's just say star wars of course and john williams is obviously an idol of mine amongst of course, everyone yeah. else on the planet um so that uh, was just hugely inspirational just the whole storytelling but i think the thing that i love about this symphony is that it's science fact mm. as opposed to science fiction and um, but really how the idea came about was a um, back in 2017 I knew I wanted to write a piano concerto and John Williams has always said when he was not doing um, film work and he was writing concert hall he said you know the world's your oyster the canvas is yours to play with and really what are you passionate about what what do you love so I stopped and thought about that question and went I love full moons and so I began to write this piano concerto called Crossing of the Crescent Moon and just before I was about to finish that it's about a 10 minute work I thought you know what I'm just going to research the ancient symbolism of crescent moons and just sort of figure Figure out. I mean, I'm, I'm in a place called Dubai that's, you know, the crescent moons are all around us, but I just wanted to dig a little bit deeper into any sort of ancient symbolism. And all of a sudden I came across this website that said 10 of the weirdest moons of our solar system. And it was like a lightning bolt had hit me. I was shaking. I was so excited that to discover there was other moons that I could be <laughs> writing music for. So that's really how the idea uh, was germinated. And when I first saw them, Dave, I, all I thought of was these moons need music. And the very next thought was these moons need emotion. And that was it. That was how the project started. And I suppose you can link that back to your ballet uh, accompanying years because it's all about putting music to a visual right I, I suppose that's the connection absolutely and you know it's funny because I, I definitely the, the natural progression after the ballet compositions was 
going into the film and, you know, being inspired by visual imagery. And that definitely was my approach and process with this moon symphony. Like, here I was, I felt like I was casting the moons, I was directing them, I, I was formulating their script based in science and really let their stories be the imagination which just drove all the musical elements that custom designed their stories and it was just like a, a film score I was writing. I mean I've got so many technical questions about how you even start to write a <laughs> symphony but I think that's probably for another podcast because that just blows my mind. I write three minute songs and <laughs> that's fairly simple but there are seven movements in this symphony so it's not even just one massive piece it's seven massive elements here uh, with each movement inspired by a different moon in the galaxy as we said so you said there was this website where you had 10. How did you choose the seven? Yeah, that was a really fun part. So um, I think one thing that I should just uh, back up and say is that just like a film score, if I get a script, I read that script until, I call it my incubation period, like until I completely metabolise the story, the characters. And that mm. was my same approach with these moons. I was on a quest to find the most interesting characteristics and there's actually only six moons to begin with actually Dave it wasn't seven that it is right now and that's a whole other story which I won't go into just yet but so I, I settled on six moons and it really was a case of what was some interesting aspects that I felt I could do musically with and that's when I started stumbling across the science and realized whoa there's a whole lot of backstory here that I should probably get a choir involved because I wasn't planning on having a choir mm. to sing the science to give it like far more relevance and outreach and um, so that's really how that started. Yeah, so it was really a fun process of just, you know, exploring as an astronaut would in the outer solar system. And for some reason, these moons are from beyond the asteroid belt. And of course, when you look at the Voyager missions and the Cassini and, I mean, just the wealth of knowledge they've collected from that mm. aspect of our outer solar system, I was just so lucky that I timed it where the science was available and data was available to do something with it musically. Absolutely. So one, one of the things I love about this, within your research, you've brought scientists in to this. You've not just relied on a website to tell you about it. How did that happen? Even when you were recording, you had those scientists there to talk to the musicians about the places that they were creating the soundscape for. So, so tell us about how that happened and, and the people that you had involved in this. Yeah, that again, serendipity is a word I use a lot with this symphony. And um, I'm a teacher at heart, obviously. I'm a, well, I'm a piano teacher. And so I, yeah, you're right. I was relying a lot on internet resources and I was coming across a lot of conflict with my facts. And this was starting to annoy me a bit. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, if I'm going to be anchoring these, these moons in scientific accuracy, I need to get my facts straight. And so I started to go, you know, I said to my husband, I need to consult with a specialist about these moons. So I went and started looking at these YouTube sites and stumbling across a certain person. And I remember taking a screenshot because I was at the gym and I was just running and absorbing all the science. I'm like, who is this person? I went home and Googled him. And I'm like, oh, he's from NASA, Robert Papalato. And I'm like, okay. So I'm like, mm, I'm just going to email him and tell him about my project. By this point, I hadn't even written a note of music. I just had the vision. And yeah. so I wrote to him and it's one of those emails that like I call it the black hole emails. Like you just don't even know if it's going to reach them. There's no official email. It's just sort of leave your message here. I'm like, you know, I've got nothing to lose and was not expecting any response. And seven days later, he responded and he said, 
partly what my question was, was what we're discussing is that I wanted to consult with someone to make sure that my facts and figures were correct and that I was keeping abreast with the most scientific um, data that was being collected and would he be in a position to have a Skype with me to discuss the characteristics of the moons and also at that point I was shortlisting them so he helped sort of define what my shortlist was and saying, yep, Amanda, that's a good choice. No, Callisto's a boring moon. Don't worry about that. <laughs> so that's <laughs> fantastic. And so... Um, so that's how that came to be. And then we had a Skype that January 2018. And then he said to me halfway through the Skype, it was just, it was amazing. It was so much fun. He was talking about rocket launches and magnetometers. And, and I was telling him about what my intentions were with the music. And, and he said to me at one point, he said, Amanda, I think the scientists would be really interested in your project. I said, really? He said, oh, yes. And then one thing led to another. He then introduced the project to Dr. Linda Spielker, who was, of course, there, who you saw at the recording session, who was the yeah. lead scientist of the Cassini mission. And I'd just given a TEDx talk um, here in Dubai that April, and she saw it. Someone sent her the link, and she emailed me back and then invited me to NASA JPL that summer to wow. present uh, at the Von Kármán Auditorium, the, the creative project process to all these scientists for the Cassini mission, which I was absolutely in my element. And then at the same time, Dave, there was a, um, a conference for um, the Europa Clipper and the JUICE mission at Caltech. So I was also invited to go and speak to all the scientists uh, involved in those missions. So that's really how all that came about. So I, I imagine you learned a hell of a lot during this process. It's impossible to say, give me a highlight of, or a snapshot of what you learned, but is there perhaps, and, I, and this may link into the Seventh Symphony, who knows, is there one part of the symphony which you feel wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for the collaboration with these scientists? Oh, yeah. I mean, I could, there's probably about five comments I could make about that. They were there on tap for me, you know, I, mean, I wasn't bombarding them. I mean, I was very respectful of their time. And yeah. if I had a question, I was really sure that, it was well-crafted and thought through. And this probably isn't going to answer your question, but I feel like I want to go straight to this comment because Moon Miranda, which was, yeah, I think I can answer by saying that the Voyager 2 spacecraft, that was the only spacecraft that's flown past Moon Miranda, which took some phenomenal imagery of that world. And that was the moon that I was composing for when something wasn't feeling right with the symphony, that was the point where I only had six moons selected and for weeks I just couldn't put my finger on it. I remember saying to my husband, something doesn't feel right about the structure at the moment and I don't know if you remember or know about Miranda but she has looks like she's been through hell and back. Yeah. You know, she's got the most extreme geological um, extraterrestrial features of any solar system. And she's so small and she's a she and her name's named after a Shakespearean play and she's just been through the ringer and back. And I um, was really trying to paint her story emotionally the way that it was felt by me. And there was one point I was, you know, writing her music and just being drenched in all her drama and all of a sudden I just felt oh my God, get me out of here. It was like I just beamed myself back to earth and because <laughs> I was just like so scared. I'm like, oh my God, this is so scary and harsh and, you know, violent. And I remember just when I got myself back to earth, I guess you could say, I remember just going, oh my goodness, I know what's missing. The seventh moon, which is our earth moon. We have mm. a planet that is safe, that, you know, does offer life in abundance. And so it was that story of Miranda that helped me define really the full spectrum of the stories that I wanted to tell in the symphony. Uh, and, and that seventh movement, well, 
I'll get onto that in a moment. So, I, I, as you've mentioned earlier, I got to experience some of this, the recording of the orchestral parts of the symphony at St. Luke's Chapel in London, where the London Symphony Orchestra was being conducted by Marin Allsop. And it was genuinely one of the highlights of my life being able to watch this happen, particularly when they were recording that seventh movement and, and Marin just let them go. It was just one of the most overwhelming things I've ever witnessed or heard it was just incredible and then obviously you then had the london voices choir led by ben parry record at studio one abbey road amazing and so for, for those of people who don't know that combination has got to be on any composer's bucket list right near the top if not the top at what stage did you know that that could happen would happen and did it influence anything that you composed Oh, you know, I, I had this statement said to me a couple of years ago and I hadn't heard it until my friend said, go big or go home. Yeah. And I'm just like, I love that statement. <laughs> and so because we're dealing with NASA scientists, you know, this is, you know, top-notch space agencies, I always felt like there was this level of excellence that I wanted to be seen echoed throughout all elements of the project. And so going starting with the science, you're right, it was the scientists. And I always felt that Marin Olsop was always going to be the one who I wanted to be steering the spaceship. I mean, the way that her conducting has been described as if anyone has the power to change the world through music, it's Marin Olsop. And that's what pretty much Nicole and I want to be doing on this campaign. So we're Damn. like, let's let's get her on board. <laughs> you know, and um, fortunately she was interested right from the beginning. But Dave, there was a time when she was all yes, 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 but we could not line up her diary and the LSO and Abbey Road Studios in the, um, 2020. And it was so funny, uh, it wasn't funny at the time, but it was sort of a bit strange because her PA wrote back to me, she said, Amanda, we've well, it was like a three-month period, we tried to do it. And she wrote back and she said, her PA said, I'm so sorry, Amanda, we can't line up these diaries. And I just went, oh, I was very unemotional. I said, well, that wasn't part of the vision. And I just left it. And I said, you know what, Paul? I just said, Paul, you're just going to have to conduct. That's my husband. And I said, let's just yeah. we'll figure something else out. But then, of course, COVID hit. COVID hit. And then six months later, I get a random email. I wasn't even directly in contact with Marin at that point. I get a random email from Marin Olsop herself saying, hey, Amanda, do you want to still try and see if we can record this moon symphony? I've got all this time now because all her concerts were cancelled. And that's how she came back to the project, Dave. And so it's just been miracle upon miracle. I know. And then... Oh, and then to have LSO, you know, that's been a five-year project to try. I mean, you should see the, the emails that went back and forth over the years with them. I always knew I wanted them to do it. And do you know what's interesting is that 100 years to the almost to the month was when, not that this has been designed upon Holst, but that was when London Symphony Orchestra recorded Holst 100 oh years God. earlier. Oh, God. Yeah, and so that was when we had, I know, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll just let you sit on that one. I think I think you're right with the when you, the word serendipity does seem to land heavily on this project, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, obviously, that connection with Holst is it's, it's obviously a natural comparison, right? Because yeah, Holst Planet is iconic. It's it's possibly one of the best piece of music ever written ever. I, I actually saw it at the Albert Hall during um, during the proms this year. It was just so mind blowing. 
were you inspired by things like that? There's obviously been plenty of music composed about the moon, like Claire de Lune. I know it's a piano piece. Were you aware of that as you were composing? Were there any hat tips to any of that? Or did you have to try and put all of that behind you and, and try and go, I can't try to recreate, I can't try and emulate or or it be a, a natural successor to those things? This has to be a standalone piece. I'm guessing that was more of your thought process, right? You'd probably be really surprised with my answer host planets had nothing to do with my creative process it wasn't yeah. even it wasn't even a i need to push this aside it was only because other people started bringing it up that i'm like i was shook to reality going oh of wow course, yeah. I, I i i didn't even think about it. and they said get ready because people are going to make the comparison i think because his was so metaphorically driven whereas mm. mine was so scientifically Scientific, driven yeah. i didn't even stop to think i mean it sounds crazy now because you look at the work i think one thing you know i was and i am ready for these questions these days because I've had to really stop and think about it. And looking back on his process, I think the one thing that I love about where you can draw a circle around with, with our projects is that they were passion projects. Yeah. His yeah, came, yeah. They, these haven't been commissions. These have been driven by our love of a subject that we were riveted by. And I think that's where is the only comparison I would ever feel like I'd need to make. Yeah. And that makes sense. So... Obviously, it's been recorded. Two of the movements are already out, but the album comes out on 7th of October and this podcast is out on the 6th of October. It's almost like we planned it. Uh, so what happens next? Obviously, I, I, I'm a singer-songwriter, so if I release an album, I then go on tour. I can't imagine going on tour with an orchestra is something you can do, but are there going to be launch events? Is there going to be? Are you planning? I know this whole dream big thing idea is there plans for big concerts of this anywhere in particular anywhere you've got on your hit list anything you could oh, tell us perhaps? oh yeah i mean it's just going back to the vision it's like that email i wrote robert papalado you know five years ago the vision is etched into my brain which is i would love love a world premiere in either london or los angeles i i, I feel los angeles is really attractive to the project because the NASA scientists are just down the road in Pasadena. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, let's course. face it, the um, Walt Disney Concert Hall looks like a spaceship and yeah. uh, um, and the acoustics are phenomenal. And so I, I would absolutely, that would be my dream is for the world premiere to happen there or, you know, at some point, obviously, it'd be amazing for a BBC Proms to have a debut at a BBC Proms. Um, we are just, I think we're just focusing firstly on getting the album release and we're sort of all thinking as a core group that things will evolve once the recording's out and the vision, people can start seeing and feeling the vision and then the team gets bigger. And um, But we absolutely want to go on a global world tour with this, no doubt. Um, and Nicole and I, we've always said that. I mean, she's got great visions. Like she said, Amanda, how cool would it be for these outdoor stadiums where you have like telescopes lining the arena where people can go and look at the moons as the orchestra's oh, playing wow. the music. I know. So, you know, there's just so much scope um so yeah and I've got an educational series that I'm really excited about that I'm um working as a co-pilot co with the Imperial College of London we've got a big event coming up on December the 2nd um for outreach which is super exciting which is road testing this idea about the scientist talking to the students and then backing up with the music and showing how that 
the intersection of art and science work together. So this is a, a huge project that's going to be run in conjunction with the world tour that I want to do. And then, you know, it's a bit like, you know, Leonard Bernstein, which of course was Marin Olsop's, um, you know, teacher and mentor. Mm. And he did the Young Concerts um, series for children. So it's, it's, it's basically, I would love that to you know, also tour with this idea um, just to get the children, the next generation of um, space explorers inspired and involved. And that would be really fun. Because that's the beautiful thing about this project, isn't it? On a musical level, uh, you can enjoy it, even if you don't want to interact with the science at all, because it's such a big scope. But if you want to, you can really engage with this on such a level. I love the video clips you did before you'd recorded with the, the orchestra. You had the demo version of your studio sounds orchestra and a, a few voices to recreate the choir um, and you match those along with some animations of the moons and they were really wonderful and it had the subtitles of the, what the choir was singing on there so you could really get into this piece of music and understand where you were coming from uh, I'm assuming that you're going to update those is that also the plan will these videos get updated with the new full orchestral pieces now Absolutely, and I do want to give a shout out to those brilliant space artists, um, Ed Bell and Ron Miller, um, the 3D um, artwork and also um, the digital artwork of Ron Miller who basically gifted me their catalogue during the years I was creating this and which is oh, just wow. so incredible. And I talk about, you know, miracles and um, and just being so fortunate to have their, their expertise. And so I had cop blanche when I was designing all those and producing all those videos. The idea is, is that I absolutely would love large plasma screens to accompany the audience experience. So, you know, think, you know, Van Gogh immersive experience. Like Nicole's, yeah, 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 Nicole yeah. Stott and I went and saw the Van Gogh together and we walked in, we were in Glasgow for COP26 um, last year. We walked in together and we went, oh my goodness, this is the Moon's Symphony. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, we yeah, really yeah. want to do, we definitely want to do that. But I tell you what, I mean, this is obviously going to be down the track, but one idea that I have is the Moon's to be in holograms above the audience's head uh, and then all show the, can you imagine the volcanic activity from Io for that yeah. story? And Enceladus, the geysers erupting tens of thousands of kilometres. And so, yeah, it's a real, that's where I want to go with this. So I just wow. need, need the investors and um, capital. <laughs> yeah. in. But that has always Absolutely. been... Um, um, that's always been my dream is to have that the moon's in hologram. Um, I think it'd be an incredible experience for the audience. Absolutely. And, and it would be so fitting to, you really are thinking big and anyone who has heard any of this stuff so far will know that it is big. It's massive. So I am going to, I am going to end on this question that I hinted at, I might ask earlier, how on earth do you even start to write something like this? Because in watching it be recorded as well, not only are you writing the different melodies and the the orchestration that, that supports that, but you're having to think about the percussion side of it and all these different things. And I mean, where do you even start? There's so much going on. There's just so much going on. And and is it something that is just in your head and you just know, okay, well, I need it. I need that on the oboe. The piccolo, when the piccolo player was amazing, by the way. <laughs> the piccolo was. needs needs to be there you know yeah. we need to have a celeste we need we need all these other things H how do you choose that stuff and where do you even begin does it start with a single melody on the piano or do you automatically think big well i happen to 
love orchestration. I mean, I don't know how these composers, I mean, they're just under huge time constraints and sort of come up with a melody and then hand off to other people to orchestrate. I am not one of those composers at all. I, I love the art of orchestration and also love the art of melody writing. Um, and so what I would do is, like I said, I, I go into an intense research incubation period where I literally spend months absorbing the science and the stories. And then it's a quite a big deal when I make an announcement to the household and the cats that I'm going to go into my studio and <laughs> this is it, guys, you know, this is a big deal. And so I literally go into a cocoon, my um, a cocoon of concentration, and it is so... It's so immersive in terms of the intensity. It's probably one of the hardest phases of the project was just being in that high level, just, just listening and feeling intuitively the ideas and, and seeing if it sits well in your system and crafting. I mean, there was weeks when I would write for seven days music for Titan and I'd play it at the eighth day and I'd like, I don't like this. This is awful. Mm. I'm scrapping it. Like, and so I would. I just scrap a whole week's work because it didn't feel right. So I'm very much driven on intuition. And also just you, you really go into a very different headspace when you're in the realm of composing. As you know, you've really got to go somewhere else. And I, I can't have a lot of distraction. I don't hardly see anyone. My husband just sees the back of my head when he comes home from work. <laughs> and um, so it was. it's very intense from that perspective. But... You know, as my sister said, you know, you don't have to see the whole staircase to take the first step. And, mm. you know, so often when I was I'm making millions and tr- it felt like trillions of decisions, like you said, about all those orchestration decisions, that was intense. But, you know, and that's that was the times when I was like, you know, decision fatigued, but I would just then daydream to these incredible space missions that they're putting together over the decades and I use the story that inspired the symphony, those people building this, these spacecrafts as like, you know what, they're putting, they're slowly building their spacecraft and I just viewed this symphony in the same format. So, and it was funny because when the Europa Clipper got the green light to go to stage three, which would build the hardware, that was exactly the same month that I was just going to take from digital score into actual music notation score and I was essentially building the hardware for the, the musicians to wow. actually play. So there were so many beautiful parallels that just sort of just gave me comfort when the going was really, you know, sometimes just, tough in terms of all those decisions that you just need to make in one day and but you know it was so enjoyable and I loved every aspect of it and again it just felt like such a privilege to have you know this idea and then have this team of scientists that are supporting you all the way and it was just such a virtuous circle that just kept me pumping along the whole time and that's probably the best way that I could describe the process but just surrendering and and not feeling intimidated by the scope of the project as well, yeah. you know, just you're just going to step back and go, you know, you know, one step at a time, and just let the project sort of dictate to you. Write the theme, and um, John Williams is always talking about musical grammar, just tinkering with that that melody until it sounds inevitable, and you, it's a feeling thing, and you just got to trust that you will have that feeling moment with that melody, and because it's, you've just it's it's just a case of just you practice that muscle, that artistic muscle, and you know it's going to show up for you. And um, you just got to just keep digging for the treasure, really. So that's 
pretty much the process. Let's go right to the end of the process as you're recording it. Are you still writing it at that point when when you're actually then sitting there and the orchestra's playing it? Were there changes that you then made or were you had you already crafted it? Is it already there and you knew exactly what it was? It was exactly what I wanted and That's incredible. Well, you know, it was it was amazing because back in the COVID era in 2020, I Marin and I stitched together an idea because it was like her orchestra in Vienna was the only one playing and at that point we were going to have Abbey Rhodes in 2020, December that year with LSO and her and the symphony, but of course that got kabooshed because of COVID. But she said she enabled me to fly to Vienna to spend three hours with her, just the orchestra, to road test the parts ahead of that Abbey Road potential session wow. in December. Okay. So right. just before I cemented the score, I went um, and, and had all that, you know, just road tested with her um, and everything was pretty much the way I wanted except for the tempos because we weren't really going after the tempos at that point. It was more just a read-through, an orchestral read-through. I think there was one yeah. note that I that wasn't in the viola part. There was an F sharp that was missing and it was hidden in, in the musical notation <laughs> or something. But I was we were really pleased with the results. And so, but, so when it did come to the day, there was a certain level of comfort I guess you could say there's still a lot that can go wrong I mean acoustics and I mean you know everything bus strikes train strikes and Mm -hmm. you know another burst of COVID or whatever so you know but again we just found the window and it was miraculous to to just have that little window of time so the day when it came there was no way I was planning on changing anything well Amanda I wish you all the best for this release I hope it gets all the accolades which I know it deserves having seen some of this happen and heard the two pieces that, that I've heard already, the full movements that are out already. Um, I've already pre-ordered my CD. I'm going to encourage all of our listeners to do the same, uh, but it will be available anywhere, correct, for people to listen yes. to, anywhere that people listen to their music, they'll be able to, to yeah. go and find this. Yes, thank you so much for all your support and being part of the Moon Symphony journey and family and um, I really appreciate this opportunity to talk as musicians and space Absolutely. geeks. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 it's a nice small community of crossover, isn't there? <laughs> it is. Oh, awesome. All right, thanks so much. Thank you. So, yeah, I, I love talking to Amanda there. It, it's really nice talking to another musician and, and her level of being able to compose is so much beyond mine, the way she can create something so big. Now, Emily, you've listened to the two pieces that are out already, right? Yes, I, I cannot say I'm a classical music expert by any means, but uh, I did listen to them and it's just like these otherworldly sounding to me, like very otherworldly, pardon the pun, soundscapes you know they they really kind of summarize the weirdness of the interplanetary space environment and i don't mean that as like oh it's weird those environments are so foreign yeah you can't compare it to earth at all because it's not the same thing at all that's what i got from the music like it just really captured the the just the weirdness and how foreign and unknown those environments really are but at the same time you can make distinctions between the worlds based on the music, which is really incredible to me. You know, it really speaks to how music can communicate beyond, you know, uh, I, I loved it. I love the, just the kind of weird 
environment it conjured up, if that makes sense. Yeah, which is exactly what what I think Amanda was going for, with, with, particularly with the Miranda movement, which is the, the moon on Uranus, which is absolutely mental and, and just crazy, as she said in, in the interview. You know, it's such a place that you have to almost get into a dark place to, to imagine it and, and, uh, and even be there and to try and create that, that landscape. When you're listening, you can kind of tell she makes music for movies as well. Yeah. It's definitely got that big epic soundtrack thi- vibe to it, That's what it sounded it? like to me. It sounded like... A soundtrack to these places. It sounded like someone had soundtracked the missions, like the space missions going to these places almost. Like we just talked about um, in a previous episode about a, a mission going to... I hate saying this. We're going to Uranus and orbiting that planet. You know, seriously, it won't happen for another 20 years or so. But still, you know, I can't imagine how incredible the photos and the data is going to be that we're going to get back from that someday because we've only flown by that once with Voyager and Voyager, amazing spacecraft, 1970s technology. I'm sure whatever we send now or 20 years from now is just going to give us so much more information about okay now we know this now we know that and you do have to get into a frame of mind to think about those places because they're not like earth i remember years ago i i I think the astronaut who came to uh kennedy space center to speak uh it was the astronaut of the day was a robert sanker bob sanker he was actually a payload specialist but i think if you flew on the space shuttle you're an astronaut so he was talking about how like the space environment is just so foreign you just can't really compare it to anything else. You know, it's a different environment entirely. And the way he described it, it gave me sort of a new perspective because I, I know it sounds stupid, but I never really thought of it that way. Yeah. Because when I thought of space, I thought, well, we're just outside of Earth. And then I thought, well, the further you get away from Earth, the more crazy that environment is, you know, because you're going to places that have a completely different environment. I just feel like the symphony really captured that, just the foreignness and the oddness and the beauty of these uh, these strange places i think that's exactly what this has done i think it's such an incredible bit of music uh i i love the scope of it i love how it all came together i love the fact that she's dreamt big and tried to make something so incredibly big and she's still thinking about big things like doing launch events in big arenas with orchestras and big screens and holographic images of the moons hovering above the audience and things like that. I think that's incredible. And if she she can make it happen, it'd be be wonderful. And I'd want to be at all of those things. But I I can't reiterate enough to how being there when this was being recorded for the few movements I was there, how wonderful it was, how incredible of an experience that was. And to hear this music come alive. I'd heard the demos before I mentioned the demos in the in the interview. And the demos were okay. You know, I was I was intrigued. I was intrigued by it. But then an orchestral demo is all done within the computer, right? So it's all synthesized sounds. They sound pretty good, but it's not the same as actually having an orchestra and a choir do it all properly. Yeah. And and the way it's turned out, it just sounds ridiculously good. And it's Oh, I just was in that room with absolute goosebumps and tears and all that kind of stuff. And 
I can't wait for the, for everyone to hear the full thing in its full flow and for people to hopefully get to an event where they can hear the scientists talk about it as well because I think all of that adds to it as well. So the choir actually singing the science of these moons. You can't tell that necessarily when you're listening to it. If you got the, the transcript, you would know. But the way it's been recorded, it just is about the sound and the emotion of the place uh, that happens to also include science. Wow. Amazing work. It's amazing work. That blew my mind because I didn't know that. I just liked the sound of it. I thought it just sounded yeah. cool. And that's really cool. It adds sort of a more more like texture to it, if that makes sense. It adds more of a like sort of a, a texture and layers to it where it's like, you know, it has meaning to it beyond just sound, which I love sound, but it's kind of cool that they put that on top of it. Like, okay, this is what this place is like. And and the thing is, sound will create the emotion you want anyway. You don't yeah. need to know what the words are. It's like when you listen to the Lord of the Rings soundtrack and there's loads of choirs with elvish yeah. words, right? You've got no idea what they're singing about. It doesn't matter. You you understand what it is because you can hear it. A good composer will make you hear it. Yeah. And that's what Amanda has done. Yeah, it's like Ode to Joy, you know? It has yeah, you've got no idea what the German, German is, yeah. do you? Like, dun, dun, yeah. I, dun, dun, dun. I speak yeah. German and even I'm like, I have no idea what the hell they're talking yeah. about. I'm like, yeah, exactly. yeah but they're it happy, matter. you know? Oh, yeah, the joy. Yeah. It also, it's really interesting, this whole idea of space-inspiring pieces of music. Like, Claire de Lune is one of my favorite yes. pieces of music ever. And actually, on the on the CD and on the, the full album, Amanda recorded herself playing that at Abbey Road. I've seen a video clip of it. I can't wait to have that version but that's one of my favorite pieces of music and I, I went to see the planets by holst at the oh Proms wow see that makes me yeah. at the royal albert hall and, and that piece of music is amazing and and obviously as we spoke about in the interview there's the comparison between the two which isn't necessarily fair but it's still an amazing piece of music right space absolutely is a great inspiration for these big epic works yep you can learn more about the symphony and how to listen by visiting moons-symphony.com. Also, if you want to hear more from Amanda, I suggest that you check out an episode of Planetary Radio, which was recorded in London when the symphony was recorded. It includes interviews with some of the scientists involved, as well as composer Marin Alsop. Dave will also put all these links in the show notes on our website, spaceandthingspodcast.com, or check the link within this episode on your podcast platform. Also, you can watch the full interview with Amanda on our Patreon page. Just head over to patreon.com slash space and things. That's it for this week. We'll be back next week and you'll get you up and we'll get you up to date with all the latest news stories. Thanks for listening. And thanks to all who continue to share what we're doing. And don't forget in space, no one can hear you mean. Space and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions.